0: And in the UK at that time, the common sign was no dogs, no blacks, no Irish.
1: We would like to acknowledge that we are on stolen, Yuggera and Turbal lands. And as settlers of colour, we reflect upon the damaging legacy of colonisation. Always was, always will be. Today we sit down with Chris Jay, a reggae sound system founder, community organiser and facilitator who moved here from the UK many years ago. He talks me through the history of sound system culture, reggae music and he spins a few vinyls including the very first record he ever made way back in 1994.
0: My name is Chris Jay, that's my pseudonym. Um, I run a record label called Dubwise Productions, I've run that since 1994. I still bring out records on vinyl format. That's my main format. So everything I play, everything I do, pretty much is on vinyl. Um, I now am involved in Champion Sound based in Brisbane. We're a not a organisation, although we didn't start like that. We started as a sound system. So that's what Champion Sound is, is a sound system. And I'm a part of that with my colleagues, John Lumley and Marco. Well, this song is called... Such in a bad state, and it's by Olga.
2: can not you see what's happening to our world right now? <laughs>
3: that word is such in a bad state to be. My is in the streets, I say. The people, they cannot find a way What oh, I'm searching so, a bad state today to Madness in the streets, I say Wickedness amongst the poor and the
1: Tell me
0: about that song. What's your connection to uh, I'm a DJ. I play music. I do events. I look for music that I find um, motivational, inspirational, that I like. Um, I heard that song. In fact, I bought that from a friend of mine who I can tell you a story about in the UK, David Dubwise. He's a record distributor. Mm-hmm. And I just came across it and I um, just wanted to have it. It's by a label out of... Uh, Holland, I do believe, Solomon Heritage and then we make making some beautiful um, reggae music there was a sound system out of Holland, yeah
1: Right, right, so I'd love to get more into the Champion Sound story a little bit later, but first you touched on uh, David Dubwise, would yeah. you be able to share a bit about that tale?
0: Yeah, interesting um, so I met Dave probably back in 1992 through a mutual friend um, William King um what it is um back then I just wanted to make music, believe it or not. So nineteen early early nineties, um what was happening. I had a sound system called Maccabee, lots of us in that sound, twelve people in that sound system. We were young, well at that time we were getting older, I was probably about thirty maybe then. Back then so what happens is in sound systems you have a lot of people together collectively working, people get older, people have relationships, things happen, people move. And eventually, that sound system, there was only myself and one other junior B right. running the sound, which was fine. Um, I always wanted to make a, a record because I was playing record and I thought, wow, it would be a great legacy if I could make a record and leave a record behind. Yeah. Um, I asked other friends, I said, look, do you want to make a record? Um, I, I had um, a basic understanding of the keyboard, of a piano. I, I did piano lessons when I was a kid. My okay. mum put me through that. Right. And I just felt I could make a, a record. That's what I wanted to do. I'm not a singer. But in this industry, as I'll explain, we've all got a part to play. So even though I can't sing, I can find a singer. But maybe I can make a beat and I can find a basis to play over that beat or whatever to, to, uh, um, uh, uh, to build it, um, embellish it. That's the word I'm looking for. Right. And so um, I, um, I was turning about 30. Um, the sound was, I thought, I'd, I don't really have to see a future in doing the sound system thing. It's a lot of work. There it so few of us actually doing it. I thought, let me get into music production is what I wanted to do. Hmm. But many people that I knew at the time were scared of that commitment. Right. There was a financial commitment, pressing a thousand records, cost money, the studio. Back then there was no mid, There was pretty much... Minimal MIDI, no, shouldn't right. say it wasn't accessible so easy.
1: And can you set the scene time-wise? We're talking 19... So
0: 1994 was okay. when I made my first record.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, vinyl <laughs> record. And funny enough, it's a Jungle record, right. which I'll play later. It was called Champion Sound. I, I sampled a few songs that I, I was into, reggae songs. Wow. Back then, Jungle was an emerging format, maybe reasonably established by that time, two, three, four years. There was a whole Acid House um Man, I probably need to go back if I go into that story. But what it was, you had reggae music come out of Jamaica. You had um, Caribbean people moving around the world. And in my case, my parents moved to England. Mm. Um, But we had that connection still to Jamaica, to the Caribbean. And Jamaica was where reggae was coming from. In Jamaica, there were so many sound systems. They were were our um, idols in many ways. Social commentary, talking about things in England, back in the... In the 70s, I was born in 63, I don't know if I just said that, but um, so yeah. in the 70s, right. um, I was a teenager, and there was lots of social problems, social issues. Police could stop you, pick you up, um, go through your pockets, right. um, they could arrest you on some um, random kind of thing, just because they didn't like the look of you. Yeah, Many things happened, and in a way, I don't want to stress it too much, in a way, we were disengaged from mainstream society. Our parents were working. Mm. we were first generation caribbean so our parents came from the caribbean yeah they went to the uk
1: were they part of the Windrush generation
0: yeah yeah pretty much so, okay. so i was born in 63 i was born in the uk but my brothers two of them were born in jamaica okay so it's that kind of thing so my parents went to the uk they left my brothers in jamaica while they established a life you oh know they mean? got
1: set up but had you over and, there whilst whilst they were getting established
0: So I was born in in England, my sister was born in England, but two of my brothers were born in Jamaica. Okay. So as you can imagine that whole thing.
1: Real blended family in terms of upbringing.
0: Well, when I say brought up, I'm not phrasing it correctly. So it probably took them a year maybe to establish themselves. So very quickly, my brothers were in England. Mm. So it's not like they were brought up away from us. Okay. I was, In fact, by the time I was born, they were in England, so I didn't know them being in Jamaica. Yeah. But it's like my dad went to the UK first, he... And then he sent my mum. And then you can imagine, we didn't all go together.
1: Right, right. Yeah, because the the logistics of migration are often far more complex than we might think about. Right, and in the
0: UK at that time, I mean, gosh, there's a whole new story there again. So when my parents or my dad was looking for places to live, the common sign was no dogs, no blacks, no Irish. (laughs) or maybe not in that order, and that's a common sign. So if you say it to a Caribbean person brought up in the UK of my generation, that's what we're familiar with. And, and that's why um, Caribbean people, and probably most migrants all around the world, I can get it, tend to move together in common areas where they can um, right. have an understanding. So in, in England, my parents moved to Hackney, and um, that's where there was a thriving Caribbean community. Yeah, And um, I was born in Hackney myself, and um, yeah, so...
1: I mean, to me, it it totally makes sense that you felt like you were on the margins and outside of the system when, um, you know, I've been watching uh, a series of movies that go under small acts that that cover this 80s, 90s period of um, West Indian communities in in London. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, both from what you're describing and what I see in those films is this real overt racism from the institution uh, through the arm of the police and like it's like of course you're going to exist on the margins and create your own reality when you're just like being pushed away or, or like in one of the small acts films like a legitimate black owned restaurant business is just getting routinely targeted and just smashed with batons and I'm, I'm sure mm. there must be countless
0: stories yeah. like this right mm-hmm. well and this is the thing again though you know um, Dylan ultimately mm. reggae music it came from so we even have to go back I'm a parent, born in Jamaica yeah um I'm a black person. My parents are black people. Yeah. But ultimately, black people weren't originally from Jamaica. Okay. So, not that my parents dwelled on that story. They never talked to me about that story, but it's one that I've learned as I've grown up and become an adult, clearly. Mm. Um, And and that's
1: a colonial trade story as well,
0: right? mm. Yeah. Well, totally. So, slavery from Africa. Yes. Taking people to Jamaica and the Caribbean to work on the plantations. Mm. Um, That's where my parents ultimately um, descended through, um, and then they decided to move to the UK for a better life. Mm. Um,
1: Do you have a sense of which parts of Africa those threads come through for you? No,
0: I don't, not at all. Because mm, the, his, the
1: history is really held mm. by the victors, right? So it's hard for us to well, kind of funny trace enough, our in this roots. Day
0: and age, it may become easier with DNA testing, but but, I, but even
1: the DNA testing, I feel like, is so whitewashed because who are the kind of people that like go? Oh, I think I'll go check out my heritage today. Like it's not. It's not often folks that look like you and I, right? So I feel like even the system is skewed in 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 the with the white lens. Like so many like like music, like film, like like so much of the whole system is built by white folks for white folks. And it even comes down to genealogy, gene well,
0: testing. I, I hear you. But to be honest, this is why I Believe I'm so excited about reggae and what it represents. Right. So back in Jamaica, you had slavery, and one day they said, "Okay, you're free now." I don't know when that day was, but you yeah. can imagine. So you've got slavery. And- bondage yeah you've been flogged whatever else goes on with slavery you Mm. you can imagine Mm. one day they say you're free Mm. but then you haven't got a house you haven't got land you haven't got a job you haven't got anything so really what does freedom ultimately mean you're still going to be right
1: um, right and we're still learning we're still learning about that period and just how much compensation was given to the slave owners and just like that it continued to Increase the divide there.
0: My like, understanding is within the last 10 years, I could be wrong. Yeah. It's something like that. In the UK, they paid off the last slave owner. That's right. For, the, oh, for their Because yeah. so, it was like for 50 years or for 100? No, no. Uh, well, more than 50, would it be 100 plus? 100 years. They were paying in off. In the future? To, wow. Yeah. And so, and even, not being funny, um, I probably don't even want to get involved in that conversation. I've probably got my own views about the whole thing. Mm. But all I'm trying to explain is... Um, what that did for us. So for my parents now coming through Jamaica and seeing all the injustices they've seen in living in that paradise type island, but they left for a better life, you can mm-hmm. imagine. They've got to the UK, they're facing... Um, uh, disadvantage again mm. with housing and all of that. But, yeah. my, but my parents, my mum in particular, one thing she put in all of us, she said, Look, education, you guys got to try twice as hard. She didn't want us running up and down. She wouldn't let us put dreadlocks in our hair or anything like that. She wanted us to really to do our best, both right. in education right. and have it. That's what she focused on. Yeah. I've got five brothers and sisters, and everyone's done really well. yeah I'm okay. so blessed to my mum. And, and that's the thing. And so even though we go back to where everything began and the color often comes into the conversation, Mm. it's not the thing that we want to hang everything on Mm. because everything's got to move on. And funny enough, I don't want to jump too far forward, but me coming here and seeing the First Nation people Mm. and what they're going through as black fellas, fully, fully, fully understand it because I've seen it, been through it. And, um, And even them, the leaders, many of the leaders, don't want it to come down to colour. They want supporters in the community. Mm. And it's a community thing that's going to change what's going on. All people supporting each other. Mm. And so, um, yeah, things do come to come back to um, race and the, the conquerors and all that. But ultimately, don't want to hang on that because not everyone's the same. It right. comes from that culture.
1: Right, right. And, and so we're in... We've, our family has migrated. We've reunited and we're in london in the 80s and 90s feeling like we're on the margins what is that environment like and what did it produce
0: well i was young but all i remember is um in hackney particularly there were big houses they had basements and that but people had music music was a big thing music was the thing that really helped us with our um empowerment and drive um and just Developing communities, are often Caribbean of people, they have parties. You'd have a little mini sound system or speakers in the corner. They play music, and come together and dance and just have fun and do all of that.
1: And this is in lounge rooms, in basements, <laughs>
0: totally, totally. Right, right. Um, then sound systems. The idea was, what a sound system is? It's a mobile PA, um, high-powered PA. High power today might be ten to twenty thousand watts. Back then it could be two to three hundred watts because it's all valve oh, technology. Right. Okay, right, yeah. yeah. But still, they built these high power systems and um, played music. Community, okay, chicken and egg. Reggae would probably have come first. So you had the music. So again, in Jamaica there was racism. So black people you're no longer a slave but you couldn't go to the uptown clubs unless you had a certain look or complexion. In in, Jamaica In Jamaica, hardcore racism. Yeah. And so um, reggae seemed to come from that. We just made out, complained about what we were going through, which is, you know, or or gave it social commentary to what we were going through. Yeah. And then um, made this music, reggae, ultimately, you know, which, um, well, toots, Animators, he coined the phrase reggae. But ultimately, reggae is an offbeat music. You've got four beats one, two, three, four. Mm. But reggae is on the third. One, two, three, one, two. Mm. And doing that almost sounds like some kind of walking, but that's reggae is yeah. the third. Where dance music is one and three. Disarray mm. <laughs> right?
2: right.
0: is one yeah. and three. So reggae is yeah. just an offbeat music. That's really what it is. It's a wide term. Not everyone, even myself, um, it's such a wide genre. I was going to say it's almost impossible to be into all of it. It's too big. Yeah. At one time in Jamaica, Jamaica were pressing and releasing the most vinyl records out of any country in the whole world. They, they were so prolific in what they were releasing.
1: The 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 cultural ex, the cultural exponents and exports from that island nation just as, just continues to astound me. Like
0: I just well, <laughs> and from that um, and from speaking on records toasting what people called it, speaking on versions, talking about what they were going through, people moving around the world, it influenced other music genres as well, right. I would suggest.
1: Right, mm-hmm. right. We've got some vinyl with us today. Have we got a, a tune that makes me think of that period, the 70s, 80s?
0: Um, the sort of... Yeah, I probably can. Um,
1: seminal days and the kind of tunes that you might have grown up on.
0: In fact, yeah, I'm going to play an artist here, Gregory Isaacs, who's mm. um, passed away now, but one of our foundation artists um, who was making reggae lived a difficult life. And you can imagine, to be an artist back then, people weren't really getting paid lots and lots of money. Right. Um, you were, had to be hardcore. You probably had to find other ways to um, sustain your income, your living. Um, Nowadays, artists like this, and probably even back then, they'll make a lot of dub plates. Wherever they travel, people would want special music from them. Yeah. and therefore, can you, can
1: you give us the definition of dub plates there?
0: A dub plate is a unique song that a sound system can play that no one else can play. That was really oh, the exclusive. idea of it, exclusive. Right. Now it's a bit more, um, I'd say watered down, because what an artist will do, they'll have a hit song and they'll just go around and they'll change one word to say that sound's name. Ah, okay But it's the same song that they've already made Right, but right a dub plate, back in the day A person would be singing about that sound system Some people call it a special as well Okay And a dub plate, because we talk about records, vinyl records A dub plate would be cut as a one-off record on acetate
1: um, And given physically only to that sound Absolutely, sounds. absolutely Wow, mm-hmm. right,
0: right <laughs> So this record here I'm going to play is by Gregory Isaac um, Probably came out late 70s I believe um, just a classic Gregor Isaac song, as I say social commentary so we're not having to dress it up or to um, make people feel like they haven't got things or to feel inferior this is all about being real I would call it, um, so this is what was going on probably in Jamaica back in the late 70s I
3: rich man A poor so many years I've been sleeping in your factory. Ooh, yeah. Never had a chance to talk with the boss, yeah, and for so long I've been a living in this old community.
0: on the African Museum label, which was um, Gregory's own label that he put together. And again, that was part of it. Again, in fact, um, when I first moved to Australia, I started Champion Sound very quickly. I don't want to jump forward too quick, but um, part of what we love to do is to work with First Nation people. I'm very passionate about that, again, as I said about the story of my own story or, or black people in the, um from the Caribbean going to the UK and how we felt and coming here and knowing minimal about what was happening. I just wanted to meet First Nation people Mm. and I went to Musgrave Park and um, I was introduced to a lot of creative Indigenous First Nation people. Um, I'm I'm very much jumping ahead now. I'm going to only touch on it. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to put together a group of arts workers and go to Cape York to work in remote communities using creativity to help people. But um, I met some... First Nation people, Paulie Speer, one in particular, and DK, another one in particular, um, Aboriginal men, um, powerful people, very community-focused. And um, we started another company called Murray Vibration, where we wanted to help Murray fellas. And um, we were doing activities and different things. But one thing Paulie Speer said to me back then, he said, he goes, um, I've never really met a rich black fella. And it's that whole thing about um, having role models or things to aspire to and feeling that you can achieve. Because if you don't know anyone in those positions, it's hard for you to imagine that you can get there yourself. Right. He's just a very motivated young man. Yeah. And it just made me think, and that's the whole point about all of this. So going back to Gregory and having a record label and being an artist and, doing, and being empowered, it was through music. There were very few chances available, opportunities available for black people in the Caribbean. Right, They did develop and things are much different now. Yeah, But to be empowered and to be independent apart from your own creativity. So that, that, that really plants a seed with me to say what creativity really means. Because now that process, years later, was coined as the creative industries. But that was before the creative industries was really known, known about. People were doing it already. Right, They were being creative. They were developing product. They were selling it. They were developing income they were having events. The sound systems were made they were put on events in the community, not in the uptown places right. because we weren't allowed to go there. Yeah. In our own community, you can have a bar, you can have food, yeah. you can have commerce built around that.
1: So there's enterprise and economy built Ultimate in.
0: Built around your creativity.
1: Right.
0: And that's the power of the, whole, of the creative industries, which is a phrase I'm going to use more and more yeah. through our conversation. Right. Because that's ultimately what it is and it's empowering because you develop intellectual property which you can exploit. And therefore, you can move forward and do, and empower yourself. Right, right.
1: Because <laughs> I don't know. I feel funny referring to Jamaica as a brand, but do, do you think, like as a as a country that's exporting music and culture and art, do you think that's something that Jamaican cultural identity was aware? They were kind of
0: aware of their own identity and value. Um, I know what you just said. You find it hard to think think or speak about Jamaica as a brand, but ultimately that's what it did. Right. Um, reggae music, red, you know, red, gold and green, well, that's a different thing, that's more of a religious thing, but the, the flag, the, the Jamaican flag, and, yeah, and even the colours, Rasta, and um, what that might have meant um, came out of Jamaica. Mm. And um, it, it, it is like branding, love, peace and unity. It sounds a bit kind of trite in a way, but it's not. It's, you know, for people to say that in music nowadays, you don't often get that Where people mm. talk about love, peace and unity you know those are important kind of um sentiments and not even sentiment things that we need ultimately
1: Mm, mm, right and so this tune was reflecting on the the 80s and 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 talking about kind of the the different world back then of like what it took to record produce and uh publish uh get your music out Mm. there uh what what followed that period um how long were you living in the UK and like what brought you?
0: Okay, so I was growing up then. So when I first started my first Sound System, well, when I was at school, I started a band. I'll, be, I'll tell you my story. I started a band, me and my mates at school. We started a reggae band. So we went to school in Ilford. Back then, Ilford was predominantly, it wasn't like Hackney. So we moved from Hackney out to Ilford when I was 11. Um, Ilford was. Um, not so diverse and therefore when I went to school, um there weren't many black people there. Yeah. Not that that's how you live your life looking for black people, but the fact is back then there was National Front and <laughs> National Front was a far right wing organization. Right. You could be walking down the road, they sh- shout at N word at you, throw some stones at you, you had skinheads that might want to fight you <laughs> if you are just out on the street that and skinheads look brutal, they had their shaving heads and right. and big brother boots and wow. you never it-
1: And did you have a bit of commute to go into your school or were you living in the neighbouring?
0: No, no, my school was 10 minutes away from where I lived. So that wasn't all I'm saying is, a young person growing up, you could be exposed to anything in in a way. It wasn't safe per se. Yeah. Um, So um,
1: I feel like it was almost like frontier, like, because now I look at London and UK, particularly from a South Asian lens of like, wow, they've really got big South Asian communities, big multicultural communities, and the scale and history there has allowed those communities to have a strong sense of their mm. of their British and Jamaican, British and Indian identities. But from what you're describing, just a few short decades ago, it was almost like it was frontier
0: multiculturalism. Absolutely, because my parents were the first and I myself and my generation were the first generation of p- black people born
1: Afro-Caribbean right.
0: people born in the UK yeah and so it was totally deep new so um, yeah going to my school in Ilford now where there weren't many black people just a handful um, you had to literally fight to be strong because you could get picked on and if you I think that's where we got our in quotes fighting spirit from because you're either going to stand up for yourself or you're going to lay down and um, not that we're out looking, no one's looking for trouble No, but either you're going to become a victim or you're going to try to say no don't right. Right. and Again, I would suggest in our music you hear a lot of um, empowerment and resistance and people say, no, I'm not going to take that. I'm proud of who I am mm. and I'm going to try to stamp my identity and express myself. And that's all, again, going back to the creative industries why I love it so much. It gives people a voice to talk about their um, perspective on life ultimately.
1: Right, right. Mm. And so the Jamaican music culture, the sound system culture, transplanted from the Caribbean tropical island nations brought to the like when i visited london i was like looking around going whoa i feel like i've come to the center of the empire Mm. like growing up in australia being from sri lanka and uh also having visited india at the time and then i visited the uk for the first time i was like wow this is where they've been taking all the riches this is where where they've been extracting and mining our wealth and culture for so long and like I felt like almost like a, a Star Wars movie or something. I just came I was just riding around the place on a bicycle just going, "Wow, look at this place." Mm-hmm. Um and so how did the music culture so the it's 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 on the margins. It's facing it's 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 in the midst of frontier multiculturalism. It's facing you're facing institutionalized racism. What kind of sound system Culture and music culture emerged from that period. Like you, you mentioned resistance. Um, yeah.
0: Well, so my first um, foray into all of it was through a band. I was at school in my final year, which would be grade twelve over here. Yeah. Um, and my mates and I we wanted to start a band. We had started a reggae band and we did gigs in our locally reporting events, um, university gigs, you know, I'm um, just just a fledgling little band but we, we enjoyed it. Um, Rehearsed once a week and, you know, developed friendship through that. And um, my friend, John Hunt, who now lives in Barbados, he had the idea of starting the sound system. And so, therefore, there were 13 of us, ultimately. We all start the sound. Everyone in the sound had a different job. You had selectors, people that just played music. You had MCs. You had operator people that would operate the equipment, control the equipment. You had box boys, people that would just be around to lift the boxes. we put on our events. You had a doorman again enterprise it was we would earn money from that and buy more records and build a bigger sound you know <laughs>
2: right
0: and develop community
2: mm.
0: so in ilford um there were two or three sounds um there was us and Styly media um there was one more his name i forget right now but there were three sounds in ilford alone um you know um in london i think you've got 32 suburbs in london um there would be hundreds of sounds at that time, back then. It was a thing that was common that we all did. Hmm. We all had a group of friends, you all built a sound. And then you could clash even, so you could play together. Yeah. That's a big thing in reggae music. Yeah. They call it clash and it sounds, wow, you know, what's going on here? But it's um competition between between sound systems um, to say which one's the best sound, who's playing the best music, the latest music, yeah. who can entertain the crowd the best, who's got the best MCs. So there's always that kind of side There has been always. In sound system.
1: And how, is it something like the Mianjin Reggae Festival in terms of the spacing for a sound clash or is it quite close together and is there a sort of a a rule book at at all in terms of like, do we take turns?
0: Yeah, so a real clash would be sound head-to-head in in a smaller space, taking turns, maybe agreeing in the beginning half-hour, half-hour. First of all, you play half-hour of music, do what you can, half-hour. And as the night goes on, that, that time would go down 15 minutes, 15 minutes. 10 minutes, mm. and then eventually it would be one-to-one. One. Right. So each sound, would will play one <clears throat> one song each and see who gets the best response. Okay. Bad, yeah.
1: Right, right. And are we even entering the dance halls at this stage, or are we still in lounge rooms, basements, and street corners?
0: Dance halls and, and clubs, yeah, ultimately. Okay. Yeah, for that. In and, early 90s period, or...? Absolutely, yeah. uh, especially in Jamaica. In Jamaica, it was watching Jamaica, and what's what was going on in Jamaica. You had sounds clashing, these major sounds, King Jammies, Stereograph, you could just go on, Stone Love, so many sounds in Jamaica, right. everyone clashing. And then other sounds coming out of, like, America, um, King Addis, or out of the UK, um... um Earthquake or um, Love Injection or, 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 I should say, Saxon sound system, one of the biggest sound systems that even came out of England. Right. Um, Coxon, so you had all these sounds. Not even would want to clash. On like my own sound, Maccabee, we weren't really into clashing. Some sounds just want to entertain or they want to play lover's music where people romance in the dance. So there's all this range of, of, of what the... Um, the music was doing but ultimately it was bringing people together right. because in those events then you'd meet all kind of people and we all got to know each other right and um that's how it all grew
1: i know you brought just a tiny slice of your uh, vinyl collection with you today but do you have a, a piece that might speak to that time period or some of the sound systems or spirit of resistance that we've just been talking about
0: not fully because what with a lot of those records, there that is what I would call dancehall. So dancehall is what it says. <clears throat> it's made um. Well, it gets a bit complicated in a way because as much as I said reggae music is on the third beat, and that is traditional reggae. Right. Dancehall has evolved right now to almost um EDM.
1: Ultimately. It's, yeah. Does it have like more that four on the floor? Yeah. Kind of pattern.
0: So it's evolved now. it's still
1: with the offbeat skank.
0: It like can be the, in there if you look for it on the baseline uh-huh. but, but ultimately it can go anywhere now. I think right. as things evolve it's um really developing. Mm. And in fair, in truth, every there's room for everybody. I myself now I'm not so much into dance or music. Okay. Again they they speak about their own contemporary issues and um I'm not into any music which is um demeaning
1: uh, derogatory or derogatory yeah. to anyone
0: else I, I see music as being important for it to be uplifting and positive and um, I don't want to generalise it's not fair to generalise um, but there's music now called um, drill music mm. I, I'm an older person and it's the thing so music's often contemporary aimed for a different audience I, I fully get that yeah um, but when I hear music and they talk about killing people it really puts me off and yeah, um, yeah. I try to avoid that we do events we, do, we engage with people and my job now I'm trying to give people opportunity to express themselves I'm going out into community and that's a challenge I'm having to begin to face in that if you say to a young person hey man there's a stage there you, know, you can make a song you can get up there you can do something yeah. and, and their expression is one that I might not agree with Mm. where do i stand with mm. that mm. And, so, and and so um yeah still trying to work with that.
1: yeah through that's, that that's really interesting because like in our efforts to create spaces and platforms for people to emerge um it is important to ask that question like to what degree do we play the gatekeeper that we were battling against when we were growing up sort of thing like you know
0: Absolutely, but then yeah. I'll give the example of so Bob Miley, but bit yeah. cliche, but I do. But one of the most, he had the most to say. He he had a lot of um, passion about what he, from the ghettos of Jamaica, he's been through everything, literally, and through his creativity, what it did. Yeah. Angry, in quotes, young man, but still, he didn't use bad language. He didn't directly say, we've got to go out and kill anyone or That's do right. anything like that. That's right. He did it, he, he used to expressed himself in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, and that's still what we're chasing down to try. Because as I went back to in the beginning, it's not about them and us directly. Yeah, it's about trying to bring people together Mm. and find common ground.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I find it really hard to think of another more truly globally, multi-generationally celebrated star than Bob Marley. Because, Mm -hmm. like, certainly from the island nation of Sri Lanka, worshipped. You know, it's it's to this day you'll see artwork on the back of three-wheeler trishaws and. uh, just around the world, particularly, I guess, from that that island nation connection yeah. um, from mm-hmm. Sri Lanka to the Caribbean, uh, it 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 seems to really speak to people, generation after generation, and it's just this legendary godlike status. And then, yeah. like you say, like he built that off of positivity and spreading love and peace and this, this sort of lasting message speaking
0: of, about reality yeah, you know, yeah. touching on the messages of the bible as well yeah. which comes into it uh-huh. um and um as you say it relates to so many different people in fact coming here to australia um then i realized you know gosh i thought i heard that um they'd been um many of the communities really enjoy reggae music basically yeah. so I started to go to remote communities and um, they were telling me about Lucky Dubé coming here I was in Cairns I'd never heard of I must admit right. I'd never heard of Lucky Dubé Right. As as I went to reggae I didn't know about him Yeah. until I got here and they'd been to communities that's right you know Peter Tosh I believe um, when he came here and performed he wanted a reggae indigenous band to perform with him yes and I believe Mop and the Dropouts was that I believe it was not Mop and the Dropouts I've got that totally wrong uh-huh. Um. But, um, Willoughby? And, um, but Willoughby, and but Willoughby in his band, um, No Fixed Address, I believe, is the band. I believe okay. it is them who performed with um, Peter Tosh.
1: Right, right, okay. And did I take us away from this tune that we were about to? <laughs> well, you're asking me to, to play
0: hear. a song, yeah, which kind of represented that period of time and what we were going through. So this is the whole point. So we were underground. Um, Yes, there was lots of dancehall coming out, which was more contemporary, but this is just a classic song, really just celebrating um, what, we, what we love, really, and how simple and yet how effective reggae can be, ultimately. So this is by Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson um, is quite a well-known singer from this period of time, but he made some classic songs, and this is just singing about reggae music.
3: You cannot refuse it. Strictly reggae music. You cannot refuse it.
4: Strictly reggae, reggae music. Tuo- Strictly reggae music do you play? Strictly reggae music do you play? Strictly roots are breaking. Strictly roots are breaking. We play it on the radio, we play it on the disco, we play it on the stereo, we play it on the TV show.
3: Speak the reggae music, you cannot refuse it, speak the reggae music, you cannot refuse it, walking out, speak the
4: root track reggae. We rule the play it every night and day We play it every night and day We buy it in a Jamaica We make it in a Jamaica We send it to England Them stack it in a England We send it to America Them rock it in America we send it to Canada, then rock it in Canada, we send it to Africa, then dance it in Africa. Strictly reggae
3: music, you cannot be it. Strictly Ramadan.
4: we you are playing depending
0: And again, that was um, just a classic reggae track, Strictly Rubber Dub, by Anthony Johnson, um, which kind of, for me, reminds me and represents what we were going through back then, promoting what we're doing, promoting what we love, being proud of who we are now, shouting it out loud, you know, Strictly Reggae, yes, we're underground, but we love what we're doing, right. and developing a scene, right. ultimately.
1: Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So, 1994, Champion Sound, your first record. Yes. Tell me about this.
0: So um I was as I said I was 1994. Yeah, I was, um 29 maybe anyway around that age.
1: Yeah. So you've been um, in band, you've been in a few bands for a few years. Well,
0: one band. The Sound System. After that Maccabee Sound, I was in the Sound System pushing yeah. that for a long time. Okay. Having to move the equipment around and to do all of that, it didn't seem sustainable for me at that point in time. Did you mention what you were playing in the band? Which instrument? I was a drummer. You were a drummer? Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I know that's why I looked at your <laughs> drum kit there. Because I was the drummer in the band. <laughs> wasn't a natural drummer, especially drumming to reggae. I had to learn the principles as much as I've just said what reggae is. Yeah. Probably back then when I was in the started the band, I was more into jazz funk. Jazz funk was my thing. Okay. Back in the day, all right. Um, you, um, Played a George Benson song there, and yeah. there's some classic songs, Back in the days into jazz funk, people were dancing, people were letting loose. Yeah, um, I, I got
1: reunited with my Jaco Pistorius. Uh, I mean, it's not quite in the jazz funk, but he does sort of touch yeah. on that.
0: But jazz funk was a genre, and it, again, it was exciting at that time. People used to dance, have fun, and that's what it was kind of about, about us into that. Mm. But with the band, we just wanted a reggae band, and um, so we started this band called Ecstasy back then. Then moved into then, after that, as I said, many people moved away or dwindled and did different things, and I thought, well, let me get into music production. I always wanted to make a record. I go back to David Dubwise now, who I touched on um, so I met my mate David, well, I met him already, and he's from South Africa david, and it's really this is where for me, it got really exciting in many ways because I just had a drive to make music. I just wanted to make music. I met this guy who's a, basically a white South African guy. Hmm. But when I met him, I went to his house. He um, had the biggest reggae <laughs> collection of music I'd ever seen in my whole life. and okay. I, was, I was a record collector myself but as, a, as a DJ. But this guy, I, uh, what he had. And so back then, even... This is in the UK? In the UK, yeah. Okay. And So back then, it, even as I talk about reggae, reggae is not one thing. So you have contemporary reggae, the dancehall guys that I, I touched on, yeah. which is what most people would have been listening to because it's for young people coming up, it's contemporary. But then you've got roots reggae. You've got people like Jashaka, um, Entebbe. You had old band, uh, old sounds that had been around from the 70s playing roots. Mm. In fact, m- mainly driven by Jairasta, far right, um, for them. So for them it was um, Rasta, Dreadlocks, um, um, Haile Selassie mm-hmm. that, That's the principle of it And that's what a lot of the sounds Appear to follow mm-hmm. I, I myself do not But that, and most of the music You will hear people talk about ja. mm-hmm. And it's really in relation to the Bible mm-hmm. They're talking about that whole principle Many people believe that um, Haile Selassie um, They've got a belief in Haile Selassie As being the second coming I believe of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. And they get that from the Bible mm-hmm. But on reggae um, A lot of people would sing about that In reggae um, and so, um, yeah, even though I'm not in, into that so much, I was very much moved by that whole story. I still am right now. Um, the message in the music is one of uplift, upliftment and love, peace and unity mm. and trying to overcome adversity. Um, so that's ultimately what Roots Music is about. And it's where I'm more focused on now. I, I, even though I will play contemporary music, and I do, I like I like it all, a lot of it. Um, it's got to be uplifting and touching on things of importance generally mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And then, so from the period in the bands, it was jazz funk, and then I was learning the basics of reggae rhythms and champion sound is a, is a name and a concept that's been in your life for a long time.
0: Mm.
1: What was the first iteration?
0: So that word champion sound, it's a common expression in reggae. I'm the champion sound, or we've got the champion sound, or th- this is the champion sound. Everyone can relate to it like that. Okay.
1: And it's, it's a, been track names, album names?
0: Not really. It's not really a name. There'd be a, an MC somewhere who would have said champion sound. It's more a thing a person would say. Okay. This is the champion sound. It was never a song. Okay. Not, well, there have been songs now called yeah. champion sound. But really, it's just a phrase that people would use in reggae.
1: For like a legendary sound system? Yeah. Something that's sounding we, we, really...
0: We're the champion sound. This is the champion sound. So there's many, many Oh, records. like
1: the winner of the sound clash, that kind of...
0: Even no matter who you are, I'm yeah. the champion sound. <laughs> you see what I mean? Because you're always going to big yourself up. Okay. You're always going to want to promote yourself in the highest level. Okay. We're the best sound. <laughs> N- nobody can test us. We're just... So champion sound is just a phrase. And in okay. fact, um, so I wanted to make a record. And back in 94... And previous, there was jungle music. So jungle music, this is where things changed. So living in London, London's a great place. It's full of energy. And um, people being creative, people wanting to try different things, different music types. And um, ultimately, and I can't say properly how it started, I would be unable to say, but I know there was a lot of people in sound systems, like um, I can name, like Unity Sound, you had Demon Demon Rock and Flinty Badman in Unity Sound System. Unity Sound System one of the biggest sounds in London, Dancehall Sounds. And um, they got a lot of their music from Jamaica, from a, um, a record label and sound system called King Jammy, so a major sound. So in London, broadly, you had Saxon, you had Unity, North and South Sound System. You had other sounds too, but they were the, like the biggest international almost type sounds. I might be unfair to other people, but they were were the two major ones, which Mm. I was focused on. Mm. Anyway, so. um, And when we
1: say international, we're talking in the sense like world class or literally touring?
0: They would literally tour. So, So they would go to America and clash, they would go to Jamaica and clash. Actually, Unity, I don't believe, went to Jamaica in class But Saxon Sound did They were the first British sound to go to Jamaica
1: Right, and, and this would be like a big logistical operation Of like <laughs> sea freight Putting all those bass bins on, on the cargo ship
0: It did for Saxon They actually took their sound system there Most people wouldn't do that now, <laughs> But in Europe, people do In Europe, people still will take the sound on a ferry It's a bit of simpler access And exercise. get around, yeah, yeah. And, um, but, we, we so, yeah, early 90s and it's the thing about reggae, not many people made a lot of money from reggae, even though you opened them up to opportunities. Mm. Broadly speaking, people wasn't making a lot. And then you had this dance music come back, acid house music, and then Jungle started, and even um, four-to-the-floor type of music was coming around at that time, and people appeared to be making much more money. In fact, my mate, so I, as a DJ, I remember back then, um, I, I would have my speakers and my records I had to buy to do my events and everything like that. I might do an event and get 50 pounds, I would, right. I would have spent more than that on the records that day.
1: So that's that's turning up with the sounds. Yeah. Playing the music. Yeah. Getting it there, getting it back for £50?
0: Pretty much, yeah. Right. And then all the dance music started. My mate would have like, um, or power music and stuff like that. And, mm. and that kind of. This is later music. into the 90s, is it? Late. No, no. Um,. Early 90s, well, mid-90s, more of that. But early 90s, it was all happening. The jungle DJs and that weren't really making sounds. They were playing off of PAs at underground events. So a promoter would um, hire a
1: a venue. And a commercially produced sound system. Is that what I'm hearing?
0: they might hire one. Um, I would believe they would hire a sound from someone well-known or maybe even commercial. Hmm. These junglist guys, a big big hall they'd hire or a big venue, And DJs would come with a box of records and play a set for an hour or two. Hmm. But you'd only carry your records. But those guys could get paid like $1,000 a set. Right. Or £1,000, it would be back then, but big money. Yeah. Beyond what we would know about as a reggae. So many reggae artists at that time actually looked at that and thought, well, we're not making any money. Look at these guys making money. So you had a whole transition of artists moving from reggae to jungle in particular, especially when this new genre started. So I was talking about Demon Rock and Flint. that actually made a record saying reggae owes us money. As they started, they started a label called Shut Up and Dance and they started making some great songs, actually. Um, but that's what was happening. People being creative and it was all, you know, it's all new. Yeah. And um, some people stuck to what they knew. Some people wanted to transition. Um, so even though I think I was loving it all, really, but even though I was into reggae and um, I wanted to make a record because technology was happening. Hmm. um samplers had come out so back then the akai sampler the s1000 would have been um a staple one affordable by um by people and i had a friend called dvsd he was a jungle dj he used, to, he used to um dj jungle at various events at, um major jungle events and um, I said to him, mate, I want to make a record he said yeah I can take it to a studio so there was a studio which had a commercial hit yeah. with, with a record called Walk and Skank I believe it was and where that record was made um, he took me there and um, I produced one side of this 45 um, I found a bunch of samples of my old reggae songs that I liked I built the backing track broadly I played the bass line sampled a jungle um, break beat and made this song, but I just went, to, this was my first record and it's called Champion Sound because, well you'll hear why, it's called Champion Sound and this was my first record, which was um, made in 1994. Champion, champion,
3: champion Sound! <laughs> you wanna a champion sound? is not just champion sound! sound is no check to the champion sound. You wanna make a and sound is no check to the champion sound. You wanna make a and sound is no check to the champion sound. You should many died for your beat session.
4: This <laughs> the dragon sound in You should many died for your beat session. This <laughs> the dragon sound in
2: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My dancing has kicked the table Look out
0: Yeah, and so that was pretty much my first incursion into um, being a producer, and it just opened new doors. Um, That record did quite well for us, for Dubwise Productions, which is the name of the label, for Dave and I. He got Dave out there, so I was the producer. Dave was able to go to record stores around London, make contacts, and um, sell the records. Of course, we had to sell units. We had um, a bad experience with a distributor. It was a bit... um, it wasn't, um, you could imagine, it was, well, you called it Frontier. It was all Frontier. Mm. Young people making music, distribution was key, so you had to try to get this into the record shops. Yeah. And, and a distributor may not always be a good distributor, so we had our fair share of experiences in experiencing not very good distributors. And I
1: imagine there's a minimum, minimum order on the number of number of vinyls to
0: produce? Well, and you want to make money as well. So we were all, a thousand records back then would be nice to sell to be able to recoup your costs and make another record.
1: What was the minimum pressing
0: around that time? There really isn't any. Oh, um, right. And
1: in fact... I was scalable then.
0: Yeah. yeah. You want to make money. So back then in the early 90s, a hit record, um, Jungle Record even, could sell 15,000 units. Guys were actually making, buying cars from the music they were making. Right. Um, we probably sold... That record did well for me, Um over a thousand of this one, maybe even 1500. up for me, that's a good seller right. in, in the door. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, um, it got played quite widely. Um, even to now, it's still a record. Because again, with record, there's collectability. And so people are in, that like music yeah. will collect. And um, you can even resell a record years and years later on.
1: What does that feel like to be both a vinyl. Uh, of, uh, both a vinyl collector and having created your own vinyl, does it feel like you have, like, other children out there in the world and, and you come you cross paths with them? Like, no. do you find this record out there in the world? Do people oh. find you and go, oh,
0: you're the guy? Oh, no, totally, totally, yeah. um, because people know. And, and again, um, that's not my driver. That's not my driver to, to want that. But, yeah, it's a reality. Um, I had a call just the other day um, from New Zealand. A guy said, um... Your songs have been played in New Zealand by Channel One Sound, who's in New Zealand. Right. Have I still got copies? And I'm thinking, wow, you know. So, yeah, um, and do I'm, you still I'm have doing, copies of this? Um, I've only got a few, actually. No, not really. A few white labels. So what happens yeah. when you make a record, you get a white label first. So that's like a pre-release record. Is that the test pressing or like it's a, separate? No, same as the test okay. pressing, yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. So I've got a few test pressings, maybe. All right. I've even, uh, um, yeah, i my mate Dave might have a couple but no not we won't repress it we've repressed it once but I won't do it again yeah
1: right right mm-hmm. cuz there's a certain kind of i don't know this sacred thing of like i've created this piece like if if i contrast it t- to digital where there's you make it once and there's no limit to the amount of times it can be streamed played downloaded that sort of thing mm. but when we're talking analog vinyl there's a certain precious and certain um, impermanence of creating something that's physical, right?
0: Yes and no. Um, what it is now, especially with the reggae vinyl industry, represses of records is really, really critical because I mentioned about Jamaica making so many records. At one time, they were the most prolific producer of um, vinyl records in the world, that island of two and a half million people releasing more vinyl yeah. than, than any other country. Yeah. Reggae, most of these tunes I've never heard. Um, so what it is, there's collectors or there's people out there that say, wow, this tune here only made three, only sold or pressed 300, 500 copies. Therefore, the repress industry now is very big for reggae. If you're going to get those tunes, which you're never going to be able to get, it's not, if you actually want a record, you're only right. going to get it on repress or it's going to be a majorly expensive record,
1: mm. which is mm.
0: unaffordable for most people. Right, right.
1: Mm. And then the the value or the resale value um, is also highly connected to whether it was part of the original pressing or the repressing, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. A repressed record is going to be standard when it comes out twenty dollars or whatever the original record could have been two hundred three four five hundred dollars because it was so rare
1: do collectors have any resentment of like when you get the original one do you have this expectation that like oh maybe it won't get reprinted?
0: i think many of them would do yeah but the same especially if you just bought it for a lot of money yeah um I'm not into collectibles. I buy music to play, yeah. so I don't actually have that view on music. Um, anything I buy is to play. I don't buy a record just because it's going to be valuable.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I have so many questions about how production even happens in 1994, but I do, I do want to try and fit this into an initial chat. I'm sure we're going to have to have to have you back on here, <laughs> right. and go okay. into further, um, further stories here because there's so much history and stories in your between your ears, but. I want to talk about, so Champion Sound started as this, as this record and uh, it evolved to being a sound system located here in Mianchin, Brisbane. Can you tell me about that journey? So your journey to
0: Australia. Yeah, so I just continued making records. Um, in fact, from that record I've just played, I made another jungle record. Then I made my first reggae record um, called Babylon Pressure. I've not got it with me, unfortunately. I should have bought it if thinking <laughs> about it. I made my first reggae record because, again, remember, my passion is reggae. Yeah. I just made this jungle record just to make a record. It seemed easy. I didn't have to meet, have any artists. I could sample records. I was in the studio. I, I'm a producer. I, right. I'm, I'm creative. Yeah. I made a beat. I made a record. That, can, you, can you see how urban and how underground that is? Yeah. And what that did was before that I'd have had to have known a singer. And then said to the singer, hey, can, we, can you make up a song? Here's the beat. Let's right. make it up let's go to the studio, let's right. produce it, yeah, Whereas this way, I went to the studio one day and came out with a production, so it was really making it easy, accessible to make music, so I like that whole jungle thing, but then what happened i 'll be honest with you, what happened was um it changed you had everything's cultural, so with jungle, you had people then saying, "Ah, oh, we don't like those reggae samples in, in those reggae we don't even understand what they're saying hmm. and I won't. I don't want to be controversial, but it felt to me it was mainly the white producers or white people were saying, mm. "What's all that? We don't even know that." No, right, no, right. we don't. In fact, we don't even like that. They're saying, What that's how jungle started." Yeah, jungle in the beginning, we used reggae influences to the fullest extent, the right. bass lines in particular. Right. and that's what it was all about. Yeah, and then but later on, people while I'm going through my own transition, people are saying, "No, no, we don't want." Not to me personally, but I'm yeah. hearing it in the industry. Yeah, and um, in fact, they said um. We're going to make intelligent drum and bass. Anyone Oof. can research that. That phrase came out. They called it intelligent drum and bass. And that, that was enough for me because I thought, well, hang on a minute. You guys have lost it. <laughs> You've got no idea what this is all about from That's my That's a
1: very loaded term,
0: isn't totally, it? Totally, totally. Yeah. It hit me hard, personally. Yeah. And I thought, I'm not getting But It's a young man's game anyway. Yeah. And I'm, since I love reggae, I might as well do what I enjoy right, doing. Right, right. And I started producing reggae tracks. I made Babylon Pressure. In the UK, there was a, a DJ on Radio One called, called um, John Peel, and there was Andy Kershaw. There were two; uh-huh. they both played reggae on Radio One, right, right. or within their within their their, their playlist, they yeah. would play reggae. Not that they were dedicated reggae. Um, DJs.
1: Okay. And but, to reference your last comment, can I touch on their cultural heritage of these two they, DJs?
0: Radio 1s. Back then, everyone was white. Okay. Um, broadly, I would okay. say. Okay. And so they were white. But what it is, they played my first reggae record.
1: Right. Did they feel more, more allied to the culture and respectful of the roots than... What you were describing about the jungle produced the white jungle producers there, like trying to whitewash things. Yeah, these radio DJs,
0: Andy Kershaw and John Peel. John Peel just had a wide view of music. I wasn't into him. Don't get me wrong. Mm. And um, I didn't really listen to Radio One. But if your song got played on Radio One, that was the biggest radio station in the UK. And and in fact, back then. You had pirate radio stations, right? So, so Kiss FM in London, and, and was is a,
1: that where Kiss, like the Kiss of today, did it come
0: from? In London was a pirate radio station, wow. and there's history there again because they got a license. Many people didn't, but um, so okay. if you wanted to hear music like I've just played, all your own music, yeah, you were looking at pirate radio stations, right? And um, that was literally underground. So you can see how, um, underground, yeah, um, yeah, it, it, it all was or all is. So um. Yeah, so my first reggae song that I made, fortunately, got played on Radio One. Shaka Sound System played it. Um, it, it, it hit quite hard. Yeah, um, instrumental track called right. Babylon Pressure. Right, and that just made me realize: well, really, I don't need to worry about jungle. Just do what you love. Yeah, and since then, I've only produced um, reggae records. Okay, yeah. okay.
1: But you also had it. You, 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 you had you played your hand at. at being a commercial producer, and you you sort of got one from one on this one. You said you sold fifteen hundred records, and that was a you smashed it out of the park.
0: Yeah, yeah, and made another one actually called is Soldier okay. again. And so this was ninety four. Then in ninety five, I made another one, another yeah. jungle record. Yeah, but it was, that was the transition. And intelligent drummer base came out, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, well, do I even want to get involved in this? You know, <laughs> uh, um, I don't need. Well, who needs that? When are you are creative? It's hard. What is it hard? Um, I was going to say it's hard to get feedback, and I don't mean it like that. Everyone's got an opinion yeah. about everything. but
1: Like if you helpful, see, constructive, considerate feedback?
0: That's kind of like what I think. But imagine it. I don't know how to explain it. If you make a song mm. that no one's heard before, mm. how do you know if it's any good?
1: Right, right. Yeah, or if what, you're presenting something entirely new and it doesn't have a reference point. Yeah, yeah. And so
0: how do you know what makes a good song? Mm. And that's mm. the point, so...
1: And will it, will it be only considered good in hindsight when people look back and go, wow, that was advanced for its well, time, but we weren't ready for it?
0: Um, yeah, I'm not even at that level because, yeah. like I'm trying to say, every record you bring out costs you, say, £1,000 plus. You've made a capital investment in that right, record. Right, right. So if, if you're not able to sell it, you've lost a lot of money. Mm. So part of your mind is thinking, is it commercial? Can I get my money back on that record? Because um, I want to make more records. Mm. And, and so you're in that position really but fortunately um my all my initial records sold i was able to make more i've made over 24 25 um individual releases a couple of albums um i don't put any money into it um it makes money enough for me to reinvest i don't take it well i take a bit of money from it now over the years but i don't really do it for money mm. i do it because i just want to make music
1: right right mm. okay and then what brought the move to Australia?
0: I um, met my missus, and um, we started to come to Australia. Um, by that stage, um, I am um, early 40s. met um, Liz, my missus, and um, started coming on holiday, you know, um, experiencing Australia, a new world. Um, you can imagine being 40, thinking, what's your life going to be like Yeah. Um, in the future. I mean I'm happy in England. I'm not gonna knock England at all, beautiful place, lots of energy. Yeah. Um I had a great job, um and everything, but I just wanted a different life and with we expecting our first child to come to Australia. Okay. And I thought, oh this is not a bad place to bring yeah. up kids. Really. Yeah. Um so I moved in two thousand and six and um wasn't sure what I'm gonna do. In the UK I used to work for the government, I was a government employee, I used to do health and safety. I did quality control. I was a surveyor. I had that kind of life. Okay. Come to Australia, everything went upside down. Yeah. Couldn't get into the industries so I was into. Um, and in fact, having young kids, not wanted to. So my missus worked broadly, and I was a house husband, basically in the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah. And um, which is great, man. to See my kids growing up and all that. Yeah. Which yeah. Which is what I was happy to do. It's a
1: great flip of gender roles. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then at, at the same time, as well. Um, I met John, my mate in Champion Sand System over here. He's mm. from Yorkshire in the yeah, UK. Yeah. I was playing at the Rumpus Rooms in the West End. I was DJing um, in the Rumpus Rooms. I met this guy, John. Uh-huh. And we spoke about England and sand systems and I was lamenting. We were lamenting how living here now, we're never going to see a sand again. <laughs> I, I've not really properly said how powerful they are. I know I've touched on it. So you've got these annual events like the Notting Hill Carnival in London. It's the biggest street festival. Based around sound systems and Caribbean culture. Right. Um, so in the UK, all around England, you've got these free music events in the community where sounds are in the community, in, in the park or wherever it is, yeah, blasting out. You've got markets, you've got all this stuff, you've got people come together. It's great. Um, I would say. Um, in some ways the media likes to demonize urban music, but it's not like that. It's very positive. And in fact, it's a way of finding common ground. Right. Right. Ultimately. Yeah. There are some bad people around in in society and some of them might gravitate to an event. I'm not saying they do or don't. Mm. But, um, the essence of all of it is very positive and, um, and, um, positive and beneficial for many people. I'm going to give you a quick story. Um, Since developing Champion Sound And doing what we do There was a man called um, Sam Watson Uncle Sam Watson Elder indigenous person Sam Watson's very well known Mm -hmm. Was very well known in Brisbane He's Mm -hmm. a leader And what he always used to say to me Was Chris you know You've got to bring that sound system To Musgrave Park We need that we need to find common ground. We need to find a way so people can come together and we can hear each other's stories. We want people to hear our story. This is Sam talking. And we're not going to get that unless we can find common ground. And that planted the seed in my own head. That's why we're now doing the event at Musgrave Park and Sam's unfortunately passed away now. Right. But the mission still continues totally in terms of our...
1: That was on his invitation and his encouragement.
0: He was the beginning of it and now other members of the community have followed on with that and so we're very much... um, invited by the community right to do that to right. try to find common ground and just bring people together that's the whole thing
1: right right because this this year of and, and particularly the last few months of this year has been quite big in the champion sound history we were looking at the the third annual mianjin reggae festival which was mm. uh, i mm. had a great experience was a great yeah. success from my yeah. perspective multiple mm-hmm. sound systems lots of people mm-hmm. coming out and to attend a, a free large-scale festival in that yeah. park um, mm-hmm. seemed like that would be a, a vision that would do would do um sorry what was the name of the sam watson yeah would do would do sam sam watson's vision
0: absolutely and to be honest we still want a bigger presence of the first nation people to be able to showcase and perform so we envisage that growing everything would definitely grassroots in the, at an early stage, but we yeah. to envisage that growing and have a bigger presence for First Nation people and other communities too.
1: Right, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you recently, I, I also witnessed, and you recently celebrated the 15th yeah. Uh, yeah. year of mm-hmm. running part. Would that be running multiple a year or how, how often no, was that?
0: So when we say our 15th anniversary, what that means is, so the sound system was built in 2008, and seven, late 2007, was okay. when we got that sound. Our very first event that we did right. was at that hall in Musgrove Park.
1: Okay. Um, yeah.
0: As I said, so when um, I wanted to make a connection to the community, my friend John and I, we walked up to Musgrave Park, pretty much knocked on the door, said hello, you know, um, this is who we are, and can we just make a connection? And First Nation people are always very accommodating and open to having a yarn. I think that's the thing what I love as well about the community that everything's real the best way of making a relationship is by talking to people Mm. and having that real connection Natalie Alberts who was the um, CEO at the time she um, was very welcoming and um, allowed us to have our first event there which was funded by Brisbane City Council their Black Diamond unit we had workshops music and you know it's been a bit tricky since then we first developed into a commercial commercial and um a company hmm. limited yep. company, um, and we ran like that for a while. And what happened very quickly, we got picked up by the AFL, the football code, who asked us to go to remote far north Queensland. Okay, they were called the AFL Cape York, so they had a Cape York division. Right, and they wanted us to go to engage with um, the young people in the communities in in, in far north Queensland. There were, I believe there's 17 or 18 of them. We we probably got to about 10 to 12 altogether. And um, so what I did, um, I asked Natalie to introduce me to some arts workers, First Nation arts workers, which I mentioned, DK and Paul Disperin. Yeah, I had some other friends as well, a guy called um, Master Wolf Skins. His name was at the time a rapper. He's a white person, not that it matters, but yeah. uh, and, um, he's the rapper. My mate, Sonny Dredd, an African fella, the D- MC DJ. And I had a group of about five people. would fly up to Cairns, we'd get a plane and go to small communities, would help them write a song make up a song, record it on a hip-hop track, which Master Wolf is phenomenal at. And then we'd do an event in the community. we play music. and The communities would come together and showcase and watch their young people. And again, what, so what I learned, most of these remote communities, they were based upon people being displaced. They're not real. They're real in terms of they're real. Mm. But they, they, were not, they were not organically real. Mm. They were made through forced movement of people. Right, so right. at Arakoon, you've got seven Clan groups there, yeah, they don't get on. They're all different,
1: right? And there's a, a strong missionary history as and well.
0: Every community's got a church there, mm. the most mm. pristine building. Um, it's right. all it's all been about. I would suggest control. Um, and um, so us doing our events, we were told that when we used to go to Aracoon and Arakoon, you, whenever you hear about Aracoon is in a negative light mm. about the trouble. We were told the crime rate would go down. And um, because the community would come together yeah. to enjoy watching the young people perform. There you and people together. Yeah. And that continued to be the thing until Campbell Newman came along in 2012, I'm not sure when, cut all the funding mm. to um, that project and that stopped. Right. You know, we did other workshops in other places, but it be, was difficult to become, to be sustainable earning money like that. So I got a job in disability support.
1: Right, right.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And And so prior to that, the the business or the sound system enterprise much like the history that you spoke of um back in london the enterprise was supporting you during that period but then the funding went and and then now you've had to move Um,
0: into yeah well in fairness so it wasn't totally supporting me anywhere i had to do side jobs as well i did all menial kind of work as well to support that okay because really our main work with afl was during um wet seasons or holiday periods. seasonal okay Diverging me, so that wasn't enough, right? And we picked up um, other clients as well, uniting care. Yeah, we worked and we did some, some amazing stuff, really. But to make it sustainable is a whole new um, ball game, and so I couldn't see a way of making that sustainable at that time, right? So I had to get a job, which I moved into disability support, yeah. right,
1: right? As you were playing me that tune before I bumped the table and made the record skip, do you have <laughs> tricks for um, like how do you play dance floors where people? Like, are they always concrete or concrete tech? What are the the? the (laughs) No, not at
0: all. So, absolutely. um, You have to isolate the deck, really, as much as you can. In fact, um, at the hall, you saw the amount of power we were driving in the hall on on Saturday. That floor was a suspended floor. So, one trick is to put it close to the wall. It doesn't bounce as much. The other one is we we cut um, squash balls in half.
1: You do do that? Okay.
0: And I have other rubber isolating pads, which I put under the deck, so the vibration... Doesn't um, affect the stylist too much. Okay,
1: right. there is some of those tricks there. And then so where does it feel where to next for champion Sound? What, what, what are what are the things that you're thinking about looking
0: forward? Well, so I've probably not verbalized this well enough. Um, I would try to touch on it or intimate it really. Ultimately, my own belief and our belief as a group is that creativity can provide opportunities for people. So that's the thing going back to the story about jamaica they had nothing they were marginalized they, they were treated quite badly but they didn't just lie down they got something to say they were created they formed a new genre of music they created this music they they produced it um, manufactured sent it around the world they got around the world they influenced other people they talk constantly you can go on and on and on yeah. video comes into it yeah um uh, multimedia comes into it everything like that and so coming here now to australia and having gone through the champion sound system or go going through the sound system aspect we try to develop a scene with that and to take these events to different communities so like nala zilme logan mm. take it around to different places mm. we want to develop the workshop element to it much more to give other people an opportunity to do similar things or to express what their interest is um so the creative industries, there's a chap called Sir Ken Robin Robinson. Um he coined the phrase the creative industries. And okay. he wrote, there's a great TED talk about it. Right. About right. that. Okay. Because he gives examples about how people who didn't succeed at school, they were gonna fail at school. But when it was found they were creative, um 100%. that's how yeah. they developed their life. There's a woman who was a dancer at school, she couldn't sit still, she was kicked out of class right, a lot. Right. But when she learned she was a dancer Man, she just flourished in in that field yeah
1: yeah because to to this day the school system is built for that industrial worker model like we're we're, 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 we're propping up this this old thing and 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 now we live in a world where a 12 year old entrepreneur from from the bedroom has all the (laughs) e-commerce tools at their at their availability to do things that a few generations ago we couldn't imagine
0: couldn't be imagined and even though I love the creative thing gosh I'm still like a dinosaur the whole not I'm into TikTok I don't know anything about it but I know (laughs) people can make a living that's right from finding aspects so that's all it is is trying to encourage that kind of thinking yeah and resilience I think it all boils down to resilience things happen you've got a mission you're going in a a particular direction yeah it may not happen yeah we don't give up we just keep on going so um, we want to do more events we want to grow that I am I run a disability. We run a disability hub at the moment at Nanda. We've got a group of young people with disabilities, and we call it a creative industries pathway program. Right. And um, we basically just say, you know, what are you guys into? Many of them into filming, making movies, or doing music, and we try to help them um, reach their goals through creative through the creative industries. Okay. So, for instance, at the event we did at Musgrave Park, we had a media crew made up of members of that group they went Mm. and they documented the event they interviewed people um social inclusion is big for us it's giving everyone an opportunity to get out to the community be part of the community right um and um not non-judgmental so we want a safe space where everyone can come together be safe and showcase so even performing for instance um is a big deal for many people to stand up there. So we just want to give that opportunity mm. and do it in a positive way. Right, right. So um, at our first event, I had um, three people from our group with disabilities performing at that event. A couple of them came to me after said, Chris has changed my life. Wow. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. I, mean, I was going to say, which is so minor, it's not minor. No. But it can be seen as being so what? But for some people, it's life changing. Absolutely. So we just want to keep that going and just grow it. Um, The idea of having a youth centre would be great. In the UK, that was a common thing. Youth centres were around where young people could come together. They might have a recording studio there. They could plan. They could come together, talk to each other. These kind of things we don't seem to see over here. Mm. Um, And again, so for me... It's about trying to find ways to engage creatively with the community and provide opportunities. So I can in no way be prescriptive. It's not never about me or, or what I think. I just try to provide a forum, an environment where people can express themselves ultimately.
1: Amazing, awesome, mm-hmm. beautiful. I, lo- I love your work and I mm-hmm. definitely wish you the best of luck and hope that we can uh, do a few projects together in the thank future. You. But um, Chris Jay, I feel like I've had a personal ethnomusicology <laughs> session today. So thank you so much for, for sitting down. And um, it's great that you're looking at the records because I'm wondering if you have a tune to uh, wind things out today.
0: And so um, I'm just going to play this song. I just love the lyrics on it. Um, it's called Serve the People by Benjamin. It's a do-over of a burning spear track called um, "Ja Is My Driver," is the original rhythm of this track, with just beautiful lyrics um, and very positive. And again, not controversial, but we like to address reality in our music.
5: I need it.
1: Jay with the perfect tune to take us out, really speaking to the, the theme of resistance in the music. And, um, yeah, just once again, just want to thank you for, for coming on Greater Tales today.
0: Thank you, Dylan, for giving me the opportunity.